0: I'm Michael.
1: And I'm Katie.
0: And this is Missing History, where each week we bring you and ourselves a story about a woman or someone who identifies as female that we want to know more about.
1: We'll share some stories, talk about it, and maybe get a little mad at the patriarchy.
0: Maybe more than a little mad.
1: Okay. Today's episode contains strong language and references to violence and sexual assault. So I'm going to talk to you about Ethel Waters. Okay. Uh, Little controversy on when she's born, because she writes 1900 in some places, 1896 in others. Maybe for tax reasons later. Let's not talk about it. Maybe (laughs) for tax reasons. Maybe. uh, Yeah, there was some controversy. But um, uh, her life does not start out great. Okay? It's pretty horrific, what I'm going to talk to you about. So... Her mother's a teenager who is raped at knife point. She's probably around 13. Oh, my God. So that's how Sweet Ethel comes into the world. Her dad is weirdly involved in her very brief babyhood. <laughs> um, and his name is Waters, which is where her surname comes from. So she oh. takes this man's surname. Her mother does get married, and she, but she doesn't live with her. She's raised in Philadelphia in this uh, area called the Bloody Eighth. Because it's so crime-ridden. So this oh childhood God. is fraught with issues.
0: and Fraught feels like an understatement.
1: Yeah. So she lives with her grandmother. Her mother's mother, Sally Anderson. She's a maid. And there's aunts and uncles also living in the house. I don't see her mother being very present Okay, with this new husband. She moves around a lot as a child to different homes. Um, she said later, I never was a child. I never was cuddled or liked or understood by my family.
0: That's so horrifically depressing.
1: It's not a great way to come into the world. So
0: I'm hoping she, there's like a an upswing to this.
1: We're, well, we're starting off low, okay, which is good. I mean, it doesn't get great for a little while. Okay. So she marries at thirteen, uh, to somebody I don't know the age of.
0: Okay. So, so we we're
1: going to hope it's another 13-year-old, but I'm going to doubt it.
0: Yeah, probably not.
1: Um, he's not great to her, maybe because she's a child. And If you're
0: marrying a child, you're probably she's marrying not. Marrying
1: a child, so you get a lot with that. And uh, she leaves him and goes to work as a maid in a hotel. At 17, she's at this party, uh, some, and she's singing. She sings all the time. She, uh, somebody hears her and is like, I'm going to pay you $10 a week. Can you come down to my theater and sing in Baltimore? Because that's how things worked back then, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how <laughs> people talked back then, too. Yeah, I know. It's
1: the... <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah, it's my party trick. Uh, this is double her current salary as a maid to just sing. So she's like, yes, please. I will do that. Uh This Baltimore newspaper wrote about it um, at the 50-year reunion of this theater, And the producer at the time says, I brought Ethel Waters here from Philadelphia for $18. She was lousy. When she finished her first number, she came backstage and told me she wasn't going back out there. They had booed her. I told her to go on out and sing St. Louis Woman. She stopped the show. She was great. So, super bad beginning. She rallies. She nails it. Everybody loved her. And apparently you used to get thrown money when you were on stage, like tips and stuff, if they really liked you.
0: Oh, but so not flowers. like Not flowers.
1: Show. Like, yeah, girl, that was good. Here's $2 or coins, which would be terrible, I think. <laughs>
0: Sounds but terrifying. you would
1: get extra money. So you wouldn't just get your salary. You could get quite mm-hmm. good. So it made you want to sing really well mm-hmm. or really give them a show. But somehow <laughs> the managers would take all of her tips because life's terrible.
0: No one is surprised. Um,
1: yeah. She ends up making quite... The impression with a bunch of people. So she gets to tour on black vaudeville circuits. These, um, At the time, most entertainment is segregated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very rare for black entertainers to perform for white audiences unless they really get in good and get onto the right circuit. But even then, they're never performing with white performers.
0: Okay, so both audiences and performers are segregated. Yes. yes. For the most part.
1: For the most part, there's, there's some... Um, African Americans that are able to perform for white audiences, but it's usually solo if not in a team of two. You would never see a
0: like a black, black person on stage with a white duo. person.
1: This is a time of minstrel shows. This is a time of really complicated
0: Just like super racist. Of- yeah, it's culture.
1: bad. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, needless to say Ethel Waters is African American. I don't know if I said that. You don't, but it- Ethel Waters is African American um she gets really tall really fast she
0: She, gets really tall like physically yes
1: she's 5'9 which at this time is quite a tall lady yeah um she becomes known as uh wait what's her name sweet mama string bean which i thought was cute um she tours (laughs) on a carnival circuit for a hot second uh, which was apparently bananas but her rough childhood prepared her for all these weird rust about carnival people it was a not a great time, but she ends up getting into the same club as Bessie Smith, uh, as a singer. And Bessie was a blues singer at the time, and heard Ethel sing and said, "She's not allowed to sing blues. I sing blues. She sings whatever else."
0: Oh, because she was worried about the competition.
1: I think so, and it's yeah.
0: Just trying two to two like...
1: African American lady singers singing the same thing. No, we can't. I'm have... sure somebody somewhere was like, "How do we tell them apart?" Because oh, life's terrible. Uh, So Ethel ended up singing ballads and popular songs of the time. Uh, She moves to Harlem in 1919. There's a lot of clubs coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Harlem Renaissance is sort of happening. The Jazz Age is about to kick off in a really great way. And her performances in the clubs of Harlem get her in the viewpoint of the Broadway theaters that are doing this format of musical show called A review. So the composers of the era are just getting into a book musical. They're not quite story not quite there yet. They're not at, at the level that they become in like the 40s and 50s or 30s even. So it's more like the composer wants to write songs about things and they don't really have a form. But each song is really produced in a way that's like fully fleshed out. It's a it's a highlight of the songwriting okay. rather than the story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. She uh, also gets a record deal in the twenties. She gets her first hit in 1925 with Dinah. Um, she also begins to perform before white audiences, and they love her. And when you get in with the white audiences, it's the fast track to the big time. Of course, it is. Sucks, but she ends up earning 12.50 a week in 1928, which is quite good. Yeah. So she's she's rocking and rolling. She uh, heads to Broadway, and she sings in a production of Africana, which is an all-black review show. All-black performers. I'm not sure what the audiences were. I'm going to assume white, because Broadway is the great white way in more ways than one. But here's hoping. Point well said. Yeah. Uh, she's making records through this whole decade. So she has this tall stature, very slim frame, mama's sweet- Mama string bean. <laughs> She gets a song called Am I Blue? And it's actually, it ends up transferring into a movie called On With The Show. Am I Blue becomes her signature song. I will say she sings the crap out of every song I've ever heard her sing. However, there is a, there's a picture problem I find in watching them today because you see her come out and there's immediately a backdrop of a cotton field. Oh no. Uh Uh-huh. And she comes out with a basket of cotton and a, like a head wrap
0: oh, no. around no, no, and then no.
1: she sings <laughs> she sings about a man that left her so I don't know why we have to be in a cotton field but maybe that's my no I the, think that's the right that's question that's my to be question asking. that's of all the things we had to okay great mm-hmm. anyway Am I Blue is a big hit this is her second big hit she's, she's getting and going and rocking out She performs in a couple more reviews. Um, I'm really sorry for these titles, but this is what we're going for. I guess we really needed to tell people what was going on. Just
0: in case we were unclear.
1: So, just to be clear, Africana. Subtle. Blackbird's Review.
0: Super subtle. Rhapsody in Black. Oh, oh God. I know. I'm
1: sorry. I'm really sorry. I will say she refused to work in minstrel shows. She... She had a say in her career at this point, being such a big star, earning so much money. And when she did do those reviews, she was getting paid $2,500 a week pre-depression. Uh, pre-depression. So she's making pretty good money. She is
0: sort of like one of like the bigger stars of her day. Yeah. We'll like see that American theme singers. come back
1: again. So now we get into songs you may know. So it's 1933. At the Cotton Club in Harlem, she sings and debuts the song Stormy Weather.
0: Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I did not know that was her.
1: Quite the song. For those of you that don't know, it eventually becomes covered by Frank Sinatra, Lena Horne, Judy Garland, even Bob Dylan, and Duke Ellington do a cover of this song over its lifetime. It's a huge song of the time she debuts it. She also is the first to sing Heat Wave and I Got Rhythm. So she's singing... (laughs) The white guys making the song like the the songs of the time like the Gershwin, the Berlin, the Mm -hmm. the writers of Broadway at that time. She's singing all of their work. Uh, She's still making records at this time, so she's a very popular uh, person. So this 1933 pretty sweet year for Ethel in terms of like making history. I find Um,
0: it's not a lot of people are having a good year in
1: 1933. No, no, not at all. Accurate. So we'll get there. Uh, Irving Berlin, here's her at some show she did, maybe one of her other reviews, and is like, sweet, she's going into my next review. I really want to do a theme review about newspaper headlines of the day. So it's very topical. Let's get a little more real. Let's get a little more pointed. We're all going through some stuff. Let's maybe,
0: maybe talk about that. Talk
1: about it through our work. Um, she's still working in radio. She, I'm sorry, she's still working in nightclubs, and she's doing a radio show, and she's going to do this review. Like, she's, she's hustling. She's got a lot of things lined up. Hustling. She's, uh, when she takes on this role, um, it effectively is an integrated show at this point now. She will be in a review with other performers who are white, and she is a black performer It's an
0: integrated cast
1: in a new way For a white audience And is
0: this the first time that's happening?
1: Technically Eugene O'Neill did The Emperor Jones In 1920 And that was another version of this mm-hmm. But this is a, that was a straight play This, this is a musical is cool. review It's, a little, it's It, it's it a little makes a like moment popular. It makes a moment It's also doing topical issues Of the time in 1930s What would be an issue that you would want A black woman to sing about? I we'll get there. couldn't think of any issues. So this, th- this show is called As Thousands Cheer. And it's quite the performance. She plays a range of women in it. This is, she also sings Heat Wave in this show, I believe. So she plays this Caribbean dancer who sings all about how her booty is going to like, woo, it's quite the song. And then the song that has I think has lasted more and is what is associated with her the most is called Supper Time. And supper time, let me just set the stage for you. Okay. This is Broadway, 1933. A woman comes out, a poor southern woman looking. She's coming out. There's a I think a laundry line, if not the table, because she's about to sing about setting up for supper time. And white audience, white, wealthy Broadway audience is watching at the Water Sing. And she proceeds to sing a song about how it's supper time. She needs to set the table, but her man's not coming home because he was just lynched. And how do they show you that? They show you a silhouette of a lynched man behind her as On she state. sings
0: the song. That yeah. seems pretty radical for Huge. the time.
1: Huge. Huge. Do you know what New Yorkers don't know about? Lynching of black men in the South. They're all rich, white, privileged people who,
0: who are not. And the to newspapers that. in
1: the South are probably not talking about that.
0: No, and the newspapers in the North definitely are. Definitely not
1: talking about that. So, A, I want to double check, but like Irving Berlin wrote Supper Time, which blows my mind. Um, And she proceeds to sing this song. And there's a really great PBS documentary about the Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. And it's like a seven to 10 hour series. And Julie Andrews narrates it, which is just perfect. But Carol Channing is documented talking about this moment and she's like and there's a man hanging in the back and we didn't know about lynchings, and it was it blew us all away we were just like Poof. it was the thing that people took away from this show um she sings it the rest of her career because as we all know lynchings don't stop in 1933 sadly they to do say. Not- Um, And she said of it later, she writes an autobiography later in her life. She says, uh, if one song can tell the whole tragic history of a race, Supper Time was that song. In singing it, I was telling my comfortable, well-fed, well-dressed listeners about my people. So she understands the importance of Art being confrontational and mm-hmm. telling people a side of a story that they would not hear normally.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that's not what you expect from Broadway musicals, yeah. especially. Because it's not even, I mean, it's,
1: it's about the whole family that's affected. Right. Because she has to sing and she's talking about setting the table for her children. And what is she going to do? Like, what does she tell them? And she's talking to God and she's... I mean, it ends with her just weeping on stage, which is also like a horrible way to end a song. Like, it's just, it's very real. There's a clip on YouTube of her doing it on one of these variety shows in the 60s. Mm -hmm. So she's probably in her 60s, 70s. Yeah. And she's singing much lower than her normal voice would be as she's aged. And it's still, she just acts the crap out of the song from start to finish. It's watching her... Sing the song and act it as much as it is just musical. It's really good. I recommend it. Um, she uh segues into film in the 30s. She does a all-black film called Rufus Jones for President. Coincidentally, Samus David- Sammy Davis Jr. is a child performer who plays Rufus Jones in no. 1933. So little baby Sammy. <laughs> tap dancing and stuff. She does a film called Cairo. And then she does this. uh, This is how I found out about Ethel Waters in my life, which is I watched a lot of TCM when I was younger. And Cabin in the Sky came on.
0: I'm not familiar with that.
1: Cabin in the Sky is a black and white musical from 1943. It's an all black cast. And it was a transfer of the 1940 musical to film. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of the original players. She was on the Broadway show. So she came. And it's, it's kind of a morality play. There's a guy named Joe and he is not really great. He gambles a lot. He's not really as fair to his wife. And he gets injured early on and then the devil and the angels are fighting over his soul for the rest of the play. So like the devil will continually tempt him with like this no good woman and he's gonna leave his wife and give him money. And
0: sounds a lot like the play Hildegard was writing. (laughs) Meanwhile,
1: Petunia, who is what, the role that Ethel, Ethel played is this sweet loving wife who's like left behind. Lo and behold, spoiler—he doesn't actually have this near-death experience. It's all a dream at the end, and of course, of course, he sees the. Pro- he sees how great Petunia is, and she's like, "Oh, thank God, Joe! Yay, we're gonna make our life together." Um, she has so many good songs in it. It's really worth a watch because you see not only her but the no-good woman is Lena Horn, who's just gorgeous in this movie and there's a a whole other story with lena horn in this movie where they do one song with her in a bathtub and the censors cut it but they oh really? the footage still exists so you can still see it but it was very controversial to see such a such a depiction of a woman of it's the directed 40s. by um vincent minnelli pretty big deal uh she sings a song called happiness is just a thing called joe which is really cute it's a really good song And it's nominated for an Oscar for the best song for that year. Oh, wow. So it's a really good movie. It's, you know, it's a 40s movie with an all black cast and there's problems. I'm not going to deny that. I would say I, with that lens, I think it's worth watching because you see a lot of people in their element rocking their craft Mm -hmm. in a really nice way.
0: And in a way that they might not have had other opportunities to do.
1: And, like, talking about representation, how many all African-American cast films do you see?
0: Not a whole lot.
1: Not a whole lot. So I think they're worth watching. I'd rather watch that than... uh... What's the... Shitty racist white What's the D.W. Griffith's BS? Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. I'd rather watch this than Birth of a Nation.
0: I mean, that's a pretty low bar, but totally. I
1: know, but it's always on the top lists, right?
0: I don't. Yes. Yes, yes, yes.
1: <sighs> anyway. Um, 1939, Ethel becomes the first African-American person on television. Controversially, because most people think it's Nat King Cole in the 50s. But 1939, she does this kind of experimental 15-minute variety special. And becomes yeah, a television star. No idea. Yeah. She continues to do film all through the 40s. The other film I know her from is Pinky, which is very problematic. It's about this light-skinned black woman who returns home. Um, Ethel plays this, like, housekeeping grandmother that raised her. Uh, and all about how the white granddaughter, or the light-skinned, black granddaughter wants to like leave her past or should she embrace who she is and pretty controversial topic for the time so controversial that they cast a white irish catholic woman as the fair-skinned black woman even though lena horn is literally down the street oh my god and could rock it out easily but they don't hire her she's also not that great i mean you watch it for ethel waters and ethel barrymore who is in it and just slays as this old crotchety grandmother that's the white, it's great. Watch it for them. Don't watch it for Don't watch whatever it Pinky is played by. Uh, whoever Pinky is played by. Um, So this is quite a film. It's dealing with some stuff. It's dealing with, is it miscegenation? Is that the word?
0: I'm never quite sure. Where
1: it's the mixing of the races and how controversial and we don't want to even talk about it. It was a banned subject for a long time. You couldn't even discuss the yeah. idea of...
0: I mean, it's still illegal in most states at this point, Oh,
1: 100%. Right? Yeah, Loving versus Virginia is not until, like, the late 50s? Late, yeah, late 60s. 50s, I 50s, think. Yeah. So, super controversial. Um, it's successful in the southern U.S., but it's banned by the city of Marshall, Texas, by its subject matter. Uh, this theater manager, uh, he hes it's a segregated theater. African-American people are only allowed to sit in the balcony of the theater, He books the film to get shown and the city commission of Marshall (laughs) reactivates the board of censors and designates five new members who all of a sudden ask that they need to be submitted films for approval in order to be shown in town. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. And the board is like, "Mm, no, we don't want to show this film uh because spoiler alert pinky actually is like no my family's pretty great and my grandma's awesome and taught me like the good person I should be and I I I'm not going to run away from who I am and I am black
0: and texas is like oh, no we can't have and that texas is like
1: this is too positive we don't like it Brr. messes with us so it is the unima- unanimous opinion of this that the said film is prejudicial to the best interests of the citizens of the city of Marshall. And so the theater manager is like, yeah, I don't care. So he shows the film anyway, and he gets charged with a misdemeanor. Uh, the members of this board of censors say it. They object to the picture because of the following reasons. One, a white man retaining his love for a woman after learning that she is a Negro. How dare you? Uh, this oh. is a quote, by the way. I apologize oh, for the words I'm saying. Two, a white man kissing and embracing a Negro woman. Played by an Irish Catholic woman, so only fictionally is that actually accurate. He's technically kissing a white woman, so because you they really chased a black like, woman
0: in the role. Yes. So no no one is coming Genuinely out of Genuinely
1: not a problem. And number three, two white ruffians assaulting Pinky after she has told them that she is colored. So there's this kind of moment where these guys are attempting to harass her and assault her and they found a problem with that, which I'm like, that's the only one I can get on board with. But even then.
0: But it's probably like they didn't want it to seem like. We don't do that. Right. Yeah. now, of course not. White
1: people don't attack. White people in Texas people have never that.
0: attacked black people ever.
1: So he's the theater managers convicted and fined $200, quite a sum at this time. Is he so he's like, no, I'm going to appeal this and we're going to take it. And it goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to say freedom of speech is also for movies is mm-hmm. the short version. And that you restrict freedom of speech if you don't allow for movies to be shown. You don't have to see the movie, but you can't say we can't show it. That's illegal. When uh,
0: does the court come down on this. I'm worried this is Called
1: Joseph Burston Burston Inc versus Wilson and it, it they decide in the favor of the theater manager and they agree that it is in violation of the first amendment.
0: That's a pleasant surprise. So it
1: overturns and he is no longer it overturns his conviction. The misdemeanor, pretty aggressive.
0: Yeah, thanks. Nineteen
1: forty-nine. So she becomes. She still does. I'm sorry. Back to Ethel. Sorry, I just thought that was a nice tangent to go down. Quite a film. Yeah. In terms of history, nineteen fifty-two. She does a movie called "Member of the Wedding." It's based on the play that she had done with the same cast. It's. uh, She won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award in nineteen fifty for that performance. She's. I'm not going to say there's not problems with it because, once again, she's playing a maid. She is a servant to these two young white children. And it's more about this young girl, this young white girl who's, like, struggling with being a teenager. All the problems with being a teenage girl. Uh, She's 13. She can't really... She's a tomboy. Her, like, brother goes off and gets married and she's struggling with, like, not having her chum around. And she seeks guidance in the form of Ethel Waters' character. And she sings a song in the movie which is really beautiful and it's frustrating to watch this little white kid yell and scream at this older African American woman in a 2018 context of like what's your you have problems okay great it's the 50s and she
0: must get a little perspective yeah but you're
1: 13 it's like there is some kind of like 13 year old girlhood is really miserable ask Ethel she was married at that time so um, that being said Ethel's acting in this film is so good and just so authentic. She's so real. There's this thing of these old movies where you have this kind of diction that you talk and all the women's on the thing. And Ethel is so just chill and casual. And you kind of feel like you're watching the... Sometimes I feel when you learn about plays of the past, you feel like you'll never get a sense of like what it was like to see those people. Mm-hmm. So I really like a direct correlation of these were the people that were on broadway they are now doing the film and you can see that performance and you can understand why it was appreciated at the time yeah and she's very understated and she's really great she's really great in it i wish she had more roles to Mm. bite into um she becomes the first african-american actress to star in a television series in 1950 in beulah she plays a maid
0: it's problematic. Like she year. quits
1: She quits after a couple years because she felt the role had become degrading, and they replace her, but she leaves it. She doesn't care. She's uh, nominated for an Emmy in 1962, and she's the first African-American performer of either gender to be recognized for a dramatic role at that time. Wow. She writes her own autobiography. That becomes a stage production in itself. So she's quite the...
0: She's got a lot she of She got in the all box. of the genres.
1: She did film, television, and stage. And re- and music. Like she records records her whole career.
0: So Basically egotting.
1: She egots before they got on board, yeah. Um she got married a couple other times, but they're not really the focus of her life in any way. I don't believe she had children. There's a tale of she had a relationship with another woman named Ethel in the 20s. And they got a nickname around town as the two Ethels, which <laughs> I find
0: cute. Staggeringly original.
1: Yeah. um, She, in the 60s, she joins Billy Graham on the road and sings at his, like, evangelistic event, wait.
0: Evangelical meeting evangelical
1: rallies. Would they be rallies, uh, revivals? Revi- yeah, I think revivals you know, is the right term. Yeah, Billy Graham kind of led this sweeping
0: like renaissance of
1: Christianity, mm-hmm. and she she really took to him, and so she comes and sings with him for quite a bit in the sixties. Um, in the seventies, she these uh, films called "That's Entertainment" come out, and they are a review, if you will in film form, of, like, the best of the musical era. So if you think about the 70s, we don't have tapes. We don't have – you can't own movies yet, really. So you would re-release these – you would either re-release movies or you would do this and kind of put a little review together and be like, oh, weren't they great?
0: And would these be televised then or in movie theaters? I think they'd
1: be in movie theaters. They did eventually come out on VHS. I might have owned them they're really great but it's also an area where you would see things you had never seen before so like that lena horn segment or like stuff that got cut they went through all the archives and found all these old songs or like old performances they go back even to the 20s when she does am i blue and they show that kind of stuff and there's this renewed interest like oh isn't ethel waters great she's phenomenal
0: and Ethel water's over there being like yes i know (laughs) And she's like
1: thank you yes i agree." And she makes the kind of talk show circuit. She wrote, you know, has all of this new interest in her. There's a really great YouTube clip of her with, she's getting interviewed by a white man. To her like right hand side is Gene Kelly and then next to him is Fred Astaire and they all just talk about how much they love each other. And it's it's beautiful. And Gene Kelly and her talk about how they fought over the same accompanist and how it was like <laughs> yeah, he was really good. I really liked him. Like I know. I was lucky to get him. Like Yeah, you poached him from me. And like watching colleagues talk about the good old days.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's really nice to watch because you can see there's such an appreciation of her talent and longevity in the business Yeah, that they really admire of her. I
0: know, that's a staggeringly long career. Mm-hmm. Think and
1: with it. no formal training. Like, she was just a really good singer and she's a really good actress and interpreter of songs, which I think is why she maybe lasted as long as she did yeah. because her acting of songs is probably just so much more impactful than anything else
0: yeah and not to like talk down to like broadway performers mm-hmm. anyway but because they're stunningly talented but the, the acting is always the thing that feels like it comes last in musicals like mm. staggeringly good dancers staggeringly good singers yeah and if they can act that's a good bonus but yeah. like that's not what you're looking for yeah to get that kind of package in a and to come from
1: 1900 so she's in the 20s and she makes this sort of seamless transition into the sort of actor studio style That you think like think about the most campy awful actor of the 30s, and then you can see why Marlon Brando was such a big deal when he came on because he he's so real and like annoying at times because you can't understand him. But at the same time, authenticity becomes this new a trend in acting, and she just did it. She was like, "Yeah, okay, great. I don't need. I don't know how much training she had or what kind of classes she took, but it seems like she had this sort of natural ability." To understand and to execute which I don't want to harp about why acting is great and I think we all talk about it too much in general I think we all but at the same time when you see people with this kind of like natural talent that just ran with it it's it's impressive and to do so at a time where it's hard to be a woman it's hard to be an African-American person it is impressive how she was able to just like go into that field yeah i'm gonna do that okay television let's do that okay i'm gonna record i'm gonna do tv what's that i don't care let's try it
0: yeah i mean you're right she basically she touches every genre at the point where it's really beginning it its own yeah and does that so well yeah it's impressive that is incredibly impressive
1: Ethel waters um she stormy weather is put into the grammy hall of fame in 2003 and dinah gets the grammy hall of fame award in 1998 and i think without her putting them on the map it would have never we wouldn't have those beautiful uh, yeah songs in the same way so yeah that's ethel waters did you know about her
0: no not at all
1: yeah she's great
0: yeah i have to admit like for someone who like quote unquote works in the entertainment industry i know very little about its history yeah and it's kind of incredible because my sort of preconceived notions of like what entertainment in the 30s is exactly that but like very white very campy yeah kind of painful to watch movies yeah she's
1: she's worth a youtube view she's worth watching seeing Time* at least if not anything from cabin in the sky i think that's kind of she's so sweet in that and then if you could watch a little bit of pinky or a uh, member of the wedding i would because she's just acting a- the crap out of everything that she's in and you just watch her the whole time
0: yeah yeah that's really cool. Oh, Ethel Waters. I love it. was such, such a great list of things I've got to go watch now.
1: Yeah, right? Love her.
0: Well, let's take a quick break. Now. Okay. Begin. I'm just kidding. So My Woman, similar period, similar to childhood Ethel? to Ethel. Okay. Very different trajectory. So her name is Evangelina Rodriguez. And she's born in the Dominican Republic in eighteen seventy
1: nine. Cool, that's a lot of stuff I don't know about.
0: Me too. So okay. I was really, really excited to learn about her. Yeah. Um so she's born into a really poor family. Um, in keeping with our theme, her mom abandons her at a really young age. Oh, baby. Um, and her dad, who's working as a low wage worker in the sugarcane fields, which are sort of the main economic activity that's in like the a Dominican Republic. Nightmare to work it is in. It isn't it. It's a horrible job. It is incredible incredibly difficult it is very low paid at this time mm-hmm. um, and so because of that he's not able to take care of her and so she mm-hmm. goes to live with her grandmother mm-hmm. um and the two of them um sort of they live together in the city and they survive by selling this sweet paste called gifo which is i'm horribly mispronouncing but it's um like a sugar corn mixture oh. that you'd sort of like sell at a street market or something but like that's that
1: that's really healthy probably yeah.
0: yeah, I have a question.
1: Yes. So you might not know, but Dominican Republic who, uh, is it co- was a colony? Yes. Or, so, but has a slave trade occur, right? Yes. So the ethnicity of Dominican people is mixed at this point? Yes. Would you say? Yeah, I definitely. Okay.
0: I would, that's sort of the, the next thing. So she is of Afro-Caribbean descent. Right, thank um, you. Okay. Yeah, so the um, slave trade um, and slavery is officially abolished. In the Dominican Republic at this point. Okay. But there's sort of a, like a, basically a de facto system of segregation, racial oppression, um, and what we sort of like, kind of a version of like, tenant farming, sharecropping, indentured servitude, mm-hmm. all these sort of nice words. for basic, Basically, the, the system of racial oppression exists. It's mm-hmm. just not called slavery anymore. Mm, yeah. But the economy is still really reliant on low-paid, wage work by predominantly black Dominicans mm-hmm. um, and so yeah so she is Afro-Caribbean um, and is living in the east southeastern province of the Dominican Republic which is where a lot of the sugarcane industry is concentrated mm. um, and at this point it's modernizing so in a lot of ways and this is maybe not like the best so this modernizing Um, which means the industry is expanding and they need a lot more labor. So there's a pretty big influx of predominantly Afro-Caribbean immigrants into this particular region Mm -hmm. of the Dominican Republic to work on all these sugarcane plantations. Where would they immigrate from? From other islands in the Mm -hmm. Caribbean. Um, At this point, the economic situation in a lot of these former colonies isn't great. Mm -hmm. And so even though sugarcane harvesting is a really bad job, it pays better than what a lot of the other opportunities are. Are they still
1: colonies? They're not.
0: Most of them at this point are independent um Uh either recently so or sort of getting their feet under them um haiti gets its independence in the early 19th century the dominican republic follows pretty soon after that um
1: is haiti the one with the revolution yes Haiti's the one
0: with the sort of big revolution around the time of the french revolution right and they share the dominican republic and haiti share an island right and so that is a thing that's getting figured out at this point it's like what is the border What does their relationship look like? Because it's generally not super positive. Mm. Um, And that's actually one of the sort of like continuing themes throughout her life in the early 20th century is that like that relationship isn't really great. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely the kind of thing where like the whole Caribbean is kind of figuring out Mm -hmm. what it is post-colonialism throughout most of the 19th century. Mm. Um, And that figuring out doesn't always go so well for everyone. Um, particularly Afro-Caribbeans working on sugarcane plantations in the Dominican Republic. Um, And so as a way of sort of supporting each other and fighting against what is a pretty brutally repressive racial system, um, the Afro-Caribbean community in the Dominican Republic creates a lot of these different social networks. Mm -hmm. Um, They put together sort of a whole system of support so that even though The government and white society is doing as much as it can to keep them down they're trying to provide what support they can for each other Mm. and one of these groups in the city that evangelina is living in notices her notices that she's really smart and she's really driven and helps her grandmother get her into school Mm. Um, and so she goes to primary school and they get a private high school to offer her a job teaching night classes to adults in return for tuition
1: what year is this
0: Uh, this is the 1890s wow Um, So definitely. Women aren't
1: in college as much. Not really in college.
0: um, And this is actually like the first private girls high school in, Mm. at least in the province, if not in the country. So it's definitely a really new thing. um, And she's one of the sort of early pioneers in doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so after she graduates, she goes and works as a teacher teaching other students. um, But she realizes she wants to be more involved in her community Mm -hmm. and sort of do more work. Um, And because she is really smart and really driven, she wants to become a doctor. Hmm. And so in 1903, she enters medical school. And in 1909 is the first female doctor in the country. Dang. So just like banging it out. Um, And she goes to work in the same region she grew up in. She basically like goes back to those communities that she was a child in and tries to sort of do whatever she can to help.
1: How much do we want to talk about medicine of this time?
0: I mean medicine of this time is I don't know a lot about it. Because germ theory it. occurred, yeah. yes. Germ Great. theory is like That's already better than most um, medical history. Yeah, it's the so early early nineteen hundreds, it's not stellar, but like we get that like we should wash our hands before we do surgery. Yeah, was it
1: like, as long as we're out of the time that I find most terrible, which is a surgeon could be seen as the best of the best of the surgeons if he, probably he, came in with a fully bloody apron
0: yes we've moved past if he had all
1: bloody apron you'd be like i want that guy operating on me he seems like he knows his way around (laughs) the inside of a human and then dirty hand yeah it's all terrible
0: no we're we are sort of just barely past that point but we are past but we are past it great so you're like you shouldn't you shouldn't be afraid of your doctor at this point (laughs) they might not necessarily be able to fix everything i maintain you should still be afraid of your doctor
1: (laughs) i'm just a healthy skepticism is always nice Fair. I don't think
0: just... <laughs> just like blindly agree to whatever No.
1: I want to see the diplomas on the wall. I want to make sure they're not printed on your little laser printer in your <laughs> office. I want to have a conversation.
0: These are all good things. I mean, to be clear, we're not medical professionals. You shouldn't take medical advice from us. No. But you should chat with your doctor. But you
1: should earn me as a patient. I'm just saying. I'm just going to give you my body and be like, fix me. It's not going to be blindly. Mm-hmm. You're still a person too. Okay?
0: Dueling at it. We're
1: all fallible. You're not the Pope. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sorry. Keep going.
0: Um, She's she's, a doctor. So she's a doctor. She's working in these poor communities around where she grew up. Um, So, of course, not a lot of her patients are able to pay her, but that's fine. She's just trying to do whatever she can. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't charge much for her services or for any of the medication she's giving out. Um, And while she's doing this, she's realizing that a lot of the causes of these illnesses aren't strictly medical. They're social and economic, too a lot of them are really tied to poverty or to the conditions people are living in. Um, and so she sort of starts developing what she calls like a social consciousness, which kind of has like some communist socialist leanings, which is definitely like it's the direction the she's headed in and is so of the time. Um, and in part it's because the um, economy in the Dominican Republic is really stratified both along like racial and economic lines. Mm. So there's these huge wealthy landowners and big U S corporations that own most of the sugarcane fields control production. They're the ones who are on the top. Would you they say there's the a
1: 1%?
0: That's a way of putting it, great. perhaps.
1: How times have changed.
0: Um, and of course, this means that all of the labor is tied to this really exploitative sugarcane market. Yeah, um, And unsurprisingly, the landowners and the corporations in the U.S. Are predominantly white. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge class and racial divide between white Dominicans and Afro-Caribbeans. i shocked.
1: Great. I mean, I should it's just
0: you want to get more more unhappy
1: I don't want to t- I go ahead
0: so I probably should also mention that from 1916 to 1922 the United States is actually militarily occupying the Dominican Republic yeah that's like worse like US Marines on the ground why running Michael running the country so did they ab- need help they is did that how we
1: probably needed help. In nineteen sixteen?
0: Nineteen sixteen, so right before World War One.
1: We've got stuff to do. We also apparently we... have
0: to occupy the small Caribbean nation. We're all
1: sugar addicts.
0: So that's a really big part of it. Yeah. Um so the the official reason for it is that the country's having trouble paying its debts, and this is at a point where the US is really trying to exert its influence over the Western Hemisphere. So rather than let like European powers send in troops and, like, take back the debt that they're owed. The U.S. is like, no, no, don't worry. We'll do it. And basically makes this weird agreement with the with the government where they're like, we will buy up your debt. In return, you let us sort of collect all of the customs in your country, and we'll use that to sort of pay off your debt. Mm, be but when right that doesn't work super well, we just send in the Marines. And this is something we're doing Chill. a lot in this period. So from 1898 to 1934... The U.S. invades, occupies, uh, or sends troops to Panama, Cuba, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Honduras.
1: Can I just say it? Can I I just... Okay. Everything's political, so for everybody being like, let's not get political, I don't want to talk about politics. It's, like, tough.
0: It's a little hard. It's
1: how food gets on your table. So, I would just love to pose a question of, like, how would we feel as Americans... In the Midwest right now, which is where we are, if people from Quebec, their military, just came in and set up a fort in nowhere, Indiana. And we're just like, no, we're just going
0: like, to come in. We're going to help you. We're helping you. because you guys Who are, are we helping ball. you with?
1: We're going to help you with guys with guns. Is that cool? And then we're like, no, it's not really cool. It's like, well, we're here anyway. So we talked to your debt about it. We're going to just hang out. When are you going to leave? Eh, you know, vaguely. Never when we get things figured out, and just and
0: gonna, we would
1: have so many problems with that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say that would not go over we would have very so well. Many problems with that, um, but we're doing it all the time, all the time at this point. Yeah. Um, and we actually occupy Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti for over a decade each. Okay. Um, and what these wars We've are called out. are banana wars, That's weird. because straight up, some U.S. fruit companies, particularly um in nicaragua are like directly responsible for this bananas, so though. yeah bananas are really problematic I'm at this point because sure. the companies will go in they'll spend a lot of money to get what they want but if they're not getting what they want they sort of pull out all of the infrastructure they put in yeah. and really destabilize the country and then the country's destabilized and they call up the u.s and they're like hey this country is unstable, and we're having trouble getting our bananas can you come invade it's basically how that works and so these U.S. fruit companies kind of end up running some of these countries.
1: <laughs> Dole is running like Nicaragua? Is what Te- you're telling me? I mean,
0: it's technically the United Fruit Company, but yes, it's basically like if Dole was running.
1: I love bananas, Dole. Please don't hate me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do yeah, love a banana. So deeply problematic American yeah. foreign policy at this point. I mean, when is foreign policy not deeply problematic? It's a fair we haven't We haven't nailed it yet, no. in my opinion. We have not. I don't think we've ever been like... That was super good times. We did we did that great. I'm sure there is. I mean, I think the formation of the UN was clearly like a oh, step forward. Are there problems? Yes, we've not perfected it. Is what I'll say. We're working on it. Always move forward. Okay. So banana wars. Banana
0: wars. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what's going on in the background of all this, or not so much the background for some parts of it. Yeah. Um, but in 1921, mm-hmm. U.S. Is still occupying her country. Um, Evangeline saves up enough money to go to France to do some advanced medical studies she wants to become a pediatrician and oh. obgyn and she just can't get that training in the dominican republic solid um so she spends four years in france she gets certified in obstetrics gynecology and pediatrics at the university of paris wow so like pretty much the best medical training you can get in the world at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. she gets it and then the first thing she does after she's done that goes back keeps working in the same community she's been working in nice Do you know what's
1: really refreshing? You haven't mentioned a child marriage yet. Nope. What a what a novel concept. No
0: child marriage at all. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, She is going to adopt a daughter at some point, but never gets married. Hmm. Never has. Career woman. Very much so. Hmm. Okay. Um, And then once she moves back, she's even more convinced that like the medical problems she's treating aren't really the issues. Hmm. It's the social issues. It's the economic issues. And so while she keeps working as a doctor, she moves more into social work, more into political activism. One of the first things she does is she starts working with local sex workers on STI prevention. Yeah. Because she's realizing like she's treating all of these STIs, but instead of treating them, she could just prevent them in the first place.
1: Yeah. So she works with them on what
0: safer sex techniques, providing medical care for them at That's low or low cost. That's very progressive. Super progressive, advocates family planning, birth control, all of these things. Is
1: this a Catholic country?
0: guessed it. We're going to
1: send some problems coming. Yeah, in.
0: local conservative leaders and especially the Catholic Church, not big fans.
1: We don't mind that there's sex workers, but we mind that oh, no, they're I mean, having
0: we mind that there are sex, sex education. Workers, but if they're going to be there, you can't teach them anything and you can't take care of them, you can't talk to them. We That's what Jesus that. would want. Yeah, Jesus, not a big fan. He of advocated
1: not talking to the
0: so, sex workers. Yeah.
1: Oh, wait. Um, Opposite. Yep. Cool.
0: But oh, uh, mm-hmm. in best fashion, she's like, I don't care. I'm gonna keep doing this. Yeah, because this works. You don't and know what you need to so I give it to you. Stop talking to me. Aww. Um, and in a way, this work kind of catapults her into her next thing, which is women's suffrage. Because one's gonna take a guess, most of the people talking shit about her, men. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. she gets really involved. Most
1: of the men, most of the people talking, are allowed to talk. Are <laughs> usually
0: probably men. Yes. Yeah very cool. very true great um so she joins what is a relatively small but really active suffrage movement mm-hmm. um starts writing for the feminist journal Femina contributes articles to newspapers all around the country she even writes a novel mm-hmm. um which she doesn't publish but is named after her adopted daughter and is meant to sort of promote this cause of, like women are people too that's really they should su- have rights that's really
1: sweet yeah
0: it's called what was her
1: daughter's name
0: um Saliste oh
1: yeah
0: that's she, sweet it really really is um Unfortunately, like this might not be the best time to be doing this because in 1930, I mean, when is when is a good time to be fighting for rights? That's a better question. It's never. It's never a good time. What's
1: the the, some quote? Power's never given. It's taken.
0: Um, But at this point, the person taking power is a military dictator named Rafael Trujillo, who seizes power in 1930. And he's going to be a really brutally repressive dictator for the next 30 years.
1: I've never heard of, like, an open, friendly dictator. So at least he's on brand.
0: He is very on brand. We're going to be unsurprised that the U.S. is a vital ally of his. No! Supports him thoroughly because he is a nice anti-communist. And we're getting a little afraid of communists at this point.
1: What year are we?
0: We're in the 1930s, but they're really going to start yeah, supporting in the fan. 40s and 50s. No, yeah, we really don't like him. Not, not a big fan. Um, his secret police kill over half a million people over the course of the his reign. The second you
1: get a secret police, it's you not know a what great... I mean? It's a sign, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. And he's, of course, then supporting the U.S. companies that are making all of their money on sugar cane. Um, so at this moment, it becomes <sighs> really, really dangerous for her to be advocating the position she is because she's basically fighting a dictatorship and again she doesn't care mm. she just keeps doing it because it's what she thinks is important i'm worried now michael you kind of should be oh no um and so as she's working with the poor she also starts meeting refugees from the spanish civil war which is going on at this time yeah. um with communists and socialists in the country she's developing a fairly radical political viewpoint the 30s man yeah
1: everybody's got a dictator
0: everyone's got a dictator. Yeah. Um, and at the same time that she's dealing with the, all of these issues around women's rights and suffrage, she's also dealing with a lot of sort of racist criticism about her mm. um, as a black woman, as a doctor, trying mm. to like work with the poor. Um, so in response, she, as you'd say, just like leans in. She's like, fine, if you guys are going to be really racist, I'm going to stop trying to sort of like live up to these white elite ideals and I'm going to really embrace sort of the Afro-Caribbean heritage that's in the Dominican Republic. So she starts dressing in that style. She stops straightening her hair. She starts wearing men's shoes as opposed to high heels. Oh, my God. Um, And she's still unmarried, so is also dealing with a lot of really sexist criticism about that. The machismo culture in the Dominican Republic is really, really strong. And so racism, sexism, brutal political repression... She's fighting a lot at this point. Yeah, it's a um, and she is privately admitting to her friends that it's getting really, really difficult. Publicly putting on a really brave face, continuing to do her work, sort of standing up for everything that she believes in. Ooh. But of course, like, it's really hard to deal with all of that Who stuff. Who does she have? Not Colleagues? Of she it has good, of friends. good friends. She has, like, a strong sort of social network. Fellow but...
1: doctors that are doing what she's doing? Yeah, I think Not so. Not many, but some?
0: Yeah, no, she's definitely, like, there is a strong community that she's a part of yeah but it's still really difficult um and so in the 1940s her health starts going um people think that she's suffering from paranoid schizophrenia but is not seeking treatment Uh. is not really taking care of herself because she's so focused on her work wait um
1: they think she's paranoid schizophrenia
0: like we think like people looking back at it now think Uh. she was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia um and at the that point mental health treatment isn't
1: i'm curious how much of that is her behavior or how much of that is interpretations of her.
0: Yeah. I don't know. what I I'm
1: hearing, not... I mean, what my what my ears are hearing are, like, she's designated as insane, which is a place that we go for women much easier mm-hmm. throughout history of, like, mentally defective because she's not subscribing to certain
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, takes. I would say, from what I've read, it seems like there's a point she in her life where has it's breakdown. pretty clear she has a breakdown of mm-hmm. some sort. And okay. afterwards her personality is significantly different than oh. what it was previously. Okay, okay. Um, And of course, I think there's definitely some of that as well in yeah. it. Um, but it, there seems to be a pretty
1: a mental fair health.
0: consensus that there's some mental health problems oh, that no. she's going for. Okay. And of course, mental health care not great. in the 1940s is not great. Not great now. Not great now. Okay. Yeah. And she's so focused on her work that she's not really pursuing what treatment is available. Yeah. Um, so eventually gets like really exhausted, really worn down, um, and is still trying to do the work, but is having trouble doing it. Um, oh. And then, so in 1946, this is where things kind of come to a head Mm. and get even more depressing. 46? 46. Okay. Um, There's a huge strike among sugarcane workers on the eastern part of the island. Mm -hmm. Trujillo sends his paramilitary forces his secret police to stamp it out. And one of the things they do is they look at her. She's been a huge critic of the regime, has a lot of popular support among the people that she's caring for. And so they're like, well, she's not directly involved in the strike, but she's a problem. We're going to take this opportunity to like take care of her. Yeah. And so they capture her, they torture her. Um, and then they sort of leave her on the side of the road to die. Oh no. And she passes away on January 11th, nineteen forty-seven. 1947. Um, oh, thousands of people come out to her funeral. She's sort of a huge popular hero and yeah. becomes sort of a symbol of resistance to the regime. Yeah. Um, and today there's a clinic named after her. In the town where she worked that provides um medical and counseling services to low-income women yeah and she's on a stamp which you know is about a sort of like baseline like you are a we're sorry icon. yeah as a government we're sorry that like a past government killed you here's a stamp mm-hmm. so like not necessarily the cheeriest ending but definitely
1: well, she clearly made an impact.
0: Made a really big impact um, and opened up a lot of doors for other women to step through in the medical profession. Really outspoken activist. Um, yeah. And I was just like really stunned because I know very little about Caribbean history at all. Yeah. Um, and just being able to sort of read about her doing a lot of groundbreaking stuff at the same time, if not earlier than is happening in yeah. other countries
1: in the region. Well, getting an education at that time, let alone as a, a black woman.
0: Yeah, let alone as a doctor. Doctor.
1: I mean, that's impressive. And then using that, and she goes directly to the most disenfranchised people of the community. Like, you cannot get, quote-unquote, lower, if you will, of, like, people that society cares about.
0: Yeah. And she stays really focused on that, like, even after getting her advanced training. Yeah. It's just this consistent focus in her life is working with the most marginalized communities. Yeah,
1: the people that need healthcare the most. Yeah. Oh.
0: like no I similarities her. To today. I think she's incredible.
1: She is incredible. I really wish
0: there was more written about her. There's unfortunately not a whole lot, or at least in English. I'm sure there's more in Spanish. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Say your name one more time.
0: Evangelina Rodriguez.
1: You go, Evangelina.
0: Keep them take taking names. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Missing History.
1: If you have suggestions for women you think we should profile, email us at missinghistorypodcast at gmail.com.
0: You can get in touch with us at Miss History Pod on Twitter or Missing History on Instagram. We're also on Facebook at Missing History.
1: If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jen and co-executive produced by Frankie the Dog. Thank you for listening to Missing History.